Today we're just going to concentrate on one particular verse, but I want to read the context again for us. It's James chapter 1. I want to read from verse 13 uh, to verse 19. And specifically, we're still dealing with temptation. What temptation is and how as the people of God we respond uh, to temptation and what helps there are. And so uh, James has got more help for us. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its help, its guidance, its awareness of the realities that we face as Christians and your children in this world. Father, one of the things that we need to do, though, is we need to recognize that your word is sufficient, helpful. I pray that you'll make your word live in our hearts today. Help us as we face temptation today and through this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How we think about God is foundational. There's a saying that we use from time to time, it's not what you know, but it's who you know. When it comes to temptation, it's both of those things, actually. Um, who we know is what will help us work our way through temptation, and what we know about temptation and God will also help us through uh, temptation. And so James really wants to now drive our attention to God. He's been doing that along the way through this book. If you've been with us the last number of weeks, um, he started by just reminding us of what our relationship with God is. We are slaves of God. It's a recognition that God is the sovereign of this universe. He's the sovereign of our lives. He's the master of our lives, and we owe total obedience and submission to him. And so James begins by just telling us of his relationship with God and telling us that's what ours should look like as well. But as he's going on to work his way through this, he's He's dealt with trials, and he's hinted at God's role in trials for us. And at the end of the trials, God will give us the crown of life uh, for everyone who has loved him. And now he's shifted gears into temptation. He's beginning to tell us some things about God as it relates to temptation. Um, some things that are not true of God when it comes to temptation. And then some things which are true about God when it comes to temptation. It's fascinating as you think this through that... Um, We've said that trials and temptations are um, two sides of the same coin. The coin is circumstances of our life. Circumstances are neutral, so to speak. But certain circumstances of our life can, can be treated as trials, or we can handle the circumstances as trials, which prove us, test us, uh, uh, improve our character. Or that same circumstance, looked at the wrong way, can become a temptation and a means through which we sin. What James wants us to understand, I think, in part when we face temptations, is that trials are faced through our new nature. Temptations are faced through our old nature. James is going to talk about that. We'll talk about that next week. 
But I want us to consider the role of God then in, con- in, in context of trials. Last week, when James first, in- or temptations, last week when James first introduced temptations to us, he told us two significant things about temptation. The first thing is that we can't blame God for our temptation. It's something that we need to know about God. God cannot be tempted by evil, and God himself tempts nobody. But the second thing he told us is that our temptation comes from our own desire. Now, I recognize that's complicated, but when you boil it down in our life, temptation is fueled when our desires run amok. And so those are the two things that he told us about temptation. But as we think about temptation and the fact that God is not to blame for our temptation, that doesn't mean that God is absent during our temptations. Or that God doesn't have a role to play in our lives as we face temptation. And so James wants us to understand these things. And so important are there that in verse 19, the first part of verse 19, which I think connects backwards, not forwards, he simply says, know this. I want you to know these things about God. When you face temptation, there's two very important things that we need to know about God that will help us find a way of escape in temptation. The two things that he is going to tell us about God now, and we'll spend time this week on one of them and the rest of the time next week on the other, is firstly, the character and the nature of God. He says, thinking rightly and knowing correctly truths about the nature of God will help us deal with temptation in our life. And then the second thing he tells us is that we need to not only know uh, uh, the, the, the character of God towards us, his goodness, but we need to remember the work of God in us, which are, is new life. And he says, when you face temptation, remember you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. And that is the strength and that is the, that is the reality through which we face temptation so that it becomes a trial rather than a temptation to sin, which leads us to death. These are things that we need to grasp, the character of God and the work of God in us. And so as he talks about the character of God and facing temptation, James wants us to know that God is good. God is good. What he wants us to know about the nature of God as we face temptation is that God is unchanging. And he wants us to know about the work of God as we face temptation is that God has given us a new nature. Those are three significant truths about God, which we need to move from our head, which again, knowledge of God matters, theology matters, but we need to take that theology of God and bring it down into our heart so it's practical theology. And James wants us to know that these truths about God will help us when we face temptation. So the first thing, that we'll look at and we'll spend our time with this day is the character and nature, nature of God. How we think about God matters. What protects you from being deceived as you face temptation? It's not a, a trick question. I just want you to think through it because James is answering that question. What is it that protects us from being deceived when we are tempted? It's the conviction that our Heavenly Father is good through and through all the time. This is where self-talk comes in. We spent year, uh, weeks, years ago, talking about self-talk, and we continue to, to bring it up. We talk to ourselves all day long. 
And what you say to yourself matters. You can either speak lies to yourself or you can speak truth to yourself. And one of the things that we need to speak to ourselves is truth about God. And so what James is telling us, remember he said in verse 13, don't say to yourself when you're being tempted, well, this is God. That's self-taught. What we are to say to ourselves is when we're being tempted is, no, God is good all the time and in every way. God is good. See, at the heart of every temptation, you need to work this one through, at the heart of every temptation is the subtle suggestion that God is not good. Or if he is good, that sometime, somehow his goodness fluctuates. It can't be relied on. It shifts and it changes. So you see what, God, what James is telling us? He's saying, listen, when you face temptation, what doesn't come from God is the temptation. Nor are we to blame God in that temptation. But rather, when we face temptation, we need to remind ourselves and tell ourselves that every good and every perfect gift comes to us from the Father. James wants to embed in your heart and in my heart the reality and the truth that God is good all the time, every time, in all that he does. This is practical theology. And so the character of God, I don't know if we think about this enough. Well, we don't, obviously, because James needs to remind us. But the character of God is simply that he is good. He is good. And James tells us that he is the superb giver of goodness in our lives. That he never holds anything back. That he gives us everything that we need. He always gives us the perfect gift in the perfect way and the perfect time. We're at that season now where uh, some of you have already started to buy gifts. Some of you maybe don't do it until December the 24th. But gift giving is in our minds right now. And I suspect that there's probably not a person here who doesn't wrestle when it comes to getting a gift. Well, is this the exact gift that they need? You know, they, they told me they wanted this, but did they want blue or did they want red? Did they want big or did they want little? Um, maybe they really wanted something else. Should I include with them the gift receipt so they can take it back on December the 26th? See, there's a concern in us as we think about giving. Is it the right gift at the right time for the right person? That is never a concern with God. James tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And so what he's telling us in context of temptation then is that we don't need to feel the need or feel the need that's stimulated by our desires by anything other than remembering the goodness of God and the gifts that God gives to us. You see, because what he's telling us in our life, in our everyday life, that God's giving towards us is inexhaustible. Every good and every perfect gift, everything we need, comes to us from God. And he says there's an experience that we have of that, is that in giving, God is benevolent. That he's good. That he's not going to give us the opposite of what we need. He's not going to give us something that won't meet up to what we need. Then in his giving towards us, he is good. And that furthermore, in God's giving to us, he gives us exactly what is appropriate for our needs. And so as we summarize it this, this way, his gift is entirely all that we need. Every good and every perfect gift. There is nothing outside of the goodness of God that we need 
for satisfaction in life. Experientially, there is the sense that what God has given me is good. Oh, that is good, Father. That's just what I needed, and it's more than what I need. It's perfect, and there's the experience of it. And then there's the thought of it as we think it through. How did you know, God? That is exactly what I needed. And so James says as clearly as he can, you and I need to know that God is good. We need to believe that God is good. And we need to trust that God is good in every time, in every way, all the time. It's not wishful thinking. This is a declaration of the Word of God. It's the experience of the people of God. It's the promise of the Word of God. It's the, it's the revealing of the character of God. God is good. You see, we just went through uh, the last part of Genesis. And in the very last chapter of Genesis, it seems like things might unravel again because Jacob has died. And his brothers are really concerned now that even after uh, numerous years, that all of a sudden Joseph is going to flip and he's going to take out his anger and his hatred and his lack of forgiveness on them. And so they come back and whether they made this up or whether it's true, they said, listen, Joseph, our dad told us that you need to forgive us. And it just broke Joseph's heart. But remember what Joseph said to them? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And not just our good, but for the salvation of others. You see, the goodness of God is not experienced all at once. The goodness of God is something that we trust in. The goodness of God is something that is so much bigger than the context of our own lives. Yes, it was good for Jacob's brother. Yes, it was good for, or for Joseph's brother and for Joseph. Yes, it was good for the family of Israel, but it was also good for the world. And so in that context, we see the goodness of God and we need to think of that in our own lives. Moses was speaking with his father-in-law. He was wanting to convince his father-in-law to come with the people of Israel as they traveled through the wilderness into the land of Canaan or Israel that would become the land of Israel. And part of what he said to his father-in-law was this, the Lord has promised good things for Israel. He's a good God and he's promised come with us and you will experience the goodness of God. The psalmist talks about the goodness of God. And, you know, if you've never found God as your father and still have a distant relationship, this is a beautiful encouragement to you. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Try him. Test him. Taste him. You see, it's an invitation to experience the character of God in your life. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Again, remember, we're tying this back to temptation. It's filling out the picture for us a little bit. For God is generous in his goodness. For the Lord, God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. He satisfies you with goodness. You see, if we are satisfied with the goodness of God, if we are 
aware of the goodness of God, if we hang on to the promises of the goodness of God, sinful desire should be squashed. Because as we desire something, we should say, but God has promised to give me all good things. God is good. All the time God is good. In every way God is good. So I don't need to listen to that temptation to find goodness outside of God. And it's a false goodness. And then he says something fascinating. Every good gift and every perfect gift, he could have just said comes down from heaven. But he says comes down from the Father above. Why does James now remind them of the Father? Why does he remind them that God is their Father as he's talking about temptation? Well, I think it's in context again of goodness. I think in part... He wants to just remind them of the familial relationship that he has with God and that in a perfect world, under perfect circumstances, our fathers are good. You see, I think as we think through that, all of us have a longing, a deep-seated longing for a good and perfect father. Some of us have experienced that. Maybe not a perfect father, but we've experienced a good father. Others of us have not. And in fact, our relationship with our Father is anything but good. But it doesn't betray or discount the longing that we all have to be loved perfectly by a good Father. And in an ideal world, a Father, a good Father, will protect us and will provide for us, will be good to us, will be compassionate towards us, will know what we need, will protect us from the things that would harm us, like evil. And I suspect that there is not a father here in the room tonight who doesn't want to try and protect their child from everything that would harm them and to give them every good thing so that they want to, don't want to find any goodness outside of that relationship. Oh, my father is enough. And so in the context of dealing with temptation, it's entirely appropriate that James calls to mind this really critical relationship. In the Old Testament, there's, there's spotted references to God as our Father. They're beautiful references. But it's not fully really understood until we come to the New Testament, where, where Jesus, we find, begins to refer to God as his Father. And in fact, it was offensive to the religious leaders. How dare you call yourself or call God your Father? But isn't that what Christ taught us to say? It's beautiful, is it not? Our Father, who art in heaven. My Father, who art in heaven. It's the language of prayer. And so exhilarating is this reality to John, the apostle, that he writes in his book, Look how great a love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are, dear friends, we are God's children now. It just, it kind of blew James away. That he could actually think of himself in terms of a child of God. And he could think of God in terms of his father. And I suspect that probably what James had in mind specifically was the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks him, for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If then you who are evil, 
and most of us as fathers don't want to think of ourselves as evil. We were, but by God's mercy and grace, we're not. But he says, which, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How much more? You see, you're beginning to see the connection. No temptation is overtaking you, but such that is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with every temptation will provide a way of escape that you might be able to endure. Do you see the escape that James is providing us here? The goodness of God. Think about the goodness of God. Rehearse the goodness of God. Go through the goodness of God in your mind. Understand that God is a perfect Father and every good and perfect gift comes down to, from, from heaven to you. And why belabor this point? Have you ever been angry with God? I suspect that most here have at least been tempted to be angry with God. In the same way earthly children are tempted to be angry with their mother and father sometimes. And our anger comes from the perception that God has not been good. That somehow God has let us down. That the circumstances of our life are cruel and unjust and unfair. You see, this was Satan's accusation or, or, or subtle suggestion to Eve. God's holding something back from you, Eve. Not to mention the fact that God had given them every single fruit and every tree in the garden, every one of them, wonderful food. You can eat of every one of them. But for good reason, he withheld one. And what does Satan suggest to her? In spite of all that, he, God is not good. Because if God was really good, he would have given you the right to eat of that tree. See, the, the knowledge of God's goodness guards against the subtle innuendos and seductions and outright lies that try and tell us that God is not good. Or that Satan throws our way to tell us that God is not good. Or the world around us that, and now it's just, it's just almost disgusting the way it throws all this stuff at you. And if you want to be happy, get this stuff. And for some, they subtly suggest if God was really good, he'd let me get all this stuff. The Father of lights. This is beautiful too. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights. Fascinating. Like, why Father of lights? I think there's a, a number of reasons. But again, remember, this is in the context of temptation. So we got to go back to, uh, I think, unpack this to Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 3, and then verses 14 and 19. But in verse 3, God had already sort of created the mass of the world and it was without form and it was in darkness. And what did God say? Let there be light. And there was light. And now we think about this for a moment. When God said, let there be light, what he did was he dispelled the physical darkness with physical light. But scripture as it unfolds will begin to tell us that light and darkness is also metaphor or can be a metaphor for spiritual darkness and spiritual light it can also be a metaphor for moral darkness or light and so when James tells us that God is the father of light he intends us to understand that God is able to shed light in the darkness of our temptations 
He's the father of light that as we face temptation, if we look to God, he will shed light on what is really behind that temptation. It would be entirely appropriate for you when you pray, when you're facing a temptation, Father of light, shine your light in the darkness of my heart as I face this difficult temptation. See, then on the fourth day, Moses tells us that God created the lesser lights, the sun and the moon. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be a sign for the seasons, for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. See, there's an express purpose in the light that God created. It's not just a random result of evolution. There's a purpose that God created the sun and the moon for. And the purpose, he says, that he, he created them to separate the day from the night and to be as signs for the season and for days and for years. See, God gives insight for us, direction for us. But what Genesis tells us is that the light of the sun and the moon is not constant. There are times when the sun is on the other side of the world. That's why we have dawn and dusk. That's right, dawn and dusk. Sometimes the moon is on the other side of the world. Sometimes the moon is full. Sometimes it's almost non-existent. Sometimes there's an eclipse. Sometimes there's clouds. There's variation in the, in the, the brightness of the sun, in the brightness of the moon. Sometimes we can see where we're going. Sometimes we can't. But James wants us to know there is no dark side to God. There's no dark side of the moon for God. And that's where he comes to the second thing, that not only do we need to know something of the character of God that he's good, but we need to know something of the nature of God. He never changes. Ever changes. And I suspect that James wants us to think about this in the context of temptation, because when we might face a temptation... And we, we say, well, God is good. But then we subtly say to ourselves, or it's hinted to ourselves, yeah, God is good, but he's not good right now. Or he's not good all the time. Or his goodness isn't sneaking into the need that I have right now or the need that I feel right now. James says, no, on the contrary, God never changes. There's never a time when God is less good or more good. There's, there's never a variation with God in your life. Every perfect good and every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father all the time. He is perfect in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Just like his knowledge cannot increase or de decrease because he's omniscient. Just like his power cannot increase or decrease because he's om omnipotent. It means all-powerful. So his goodness cannot get more or less because he's perfect in his goodness. He says, long ago you established the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out. You will, you will change them like a garment. They will pass away, but you are the same and your years will never end. For I, the Lord, do not change. The eternal one of Israel does not lie or change his mind. He's not a man who changes his mind. John then sums it up brilliantly when he says about God, this is the message we have heard and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. There's never a time when God's 
goodness is not sufficient. There is never a time when God's goodness is not perfect. There is no variation, God. God is unchangeable. He always is everything that he is. And so when we think about what James is saying here about the unchanging nature of God, what he has in mind, I think, is that God is unchanging in his attributes. That he is unchanging in his decretive will, that what God decrees will happen. It cannot but happen. That God is unchanging in his covenant faithfulness. God will never betray his own. Nobody can ever snatch us out of his hands. He will hold us fast. And that God is unchanging in the truth of his revelation. His word will never change. So that means that when you and I face temptation today, tonight, this week, that not only is are we to be assured and convinced and remind ourselves of the goodness of God. But we should never question the extent or the reliability of that goodness. I was struck. It's amazing, you know, I, I sometimes think I'm dumb. Well, I, I read the Bible and I miss things all the time. And, and then all of a sudden you come across something, you know, I didn't see that before. And it was in the context of, of um, David's fall, his sin with Bathsheba, and then his murder of Uriah. And that's often where we, we spend most of our time. And we need to spend time there to just dissect that and then to think about God's forgiveness for him. But I was reading about the explanation or the confrontation of the prophet Nathan with David after a number of months as David had lived in the silence of his sin and just was being eaten from the inside out. And you remember that Nathan came and he told him this story about a man who had tons of sheep and about a poor man who had one sheep and the family loved that little sheep. And a visitor came along and the rich man, instead of taking one of his sheep, took the poor man's only sheep and killed it and they ate it. And David was incensed. And he said, that man needs to be judged. And Nathan said to him, you are that man. But then Nathan went on and he said this to David. And I've never seen this before. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel. And I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have added as much, I would have added much more. Notice the, the repetition of the, the word give three times, I think, at least in there. David had experienced an overabundance of the goodness of God. But when he looked at Bathsheba, he completely forgot all about that. And he thought, God has withhold, withheld his goodness from me. God hasn't given me everything that I need. What a lie. He completely overlooked the bounty of God's goodness to him. And the suggestion that God made that if you wanted more or needed more, I would have given that to you also. Just not in your way, but in my way. You see, David had doubted the goodness of God when he first looked upon Bathsheba. The, the, the writer of Proverbs said, it is the blessing of the Lord to make rich. And he adds no sorrow to it. Loved ones, we need to convince ourselves. 
surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Every temptation you face, surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. Do you see how thinking about God matters? James is tying this back again to temptation. See, it's only the conviction that God is unqualified goodness and light and that he will work all things together for good in our lives that will give us strength to resist. When God is so generous and provides everything that is good and perfect, why should anything evil have attraction to us? If this is who God is, why should any temptation land upon us? You know, Charles Spurgeon used to say, um, you can't prevent a bird from flying around your head, but you can prevent it from making a nest there. We can't prevent temptation from coming into our life. It will come. But there are means in which God has provided us that we can stop temptation before it alights or lands upon us. Meditate on God's goodness. If you need something, if you sense a lack in your life, wait for God to provide. And know that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the help it has been to me and continues to be to me. I thank you for showing me things that I just have never seen for so many years. Even for the way that James is opening my eyes to understand trials a little bit differently and temptations a little bit differently. Your word is what we need. A knowledge of you is what we need. So help us, I pray, Father, to make decisions with our ears and not with our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.